0: Hello, everybody. This is Dan Woods here at the Early Adopter Research Podcast at RSA 2019. I've been asking lots of people three questions about cybersecurity, and today I'm sitting with Jamil Jaffer, VP of Strategy and Partnerships for IronNet. We're going to talk about those three questions, and if we have time, we're going to go to the bonus questions and have a little fun with those. Right. First of all, so people know where you're coming from, could you explain what IronNet does?
1: Sure. IronNet at its core is a network threat analytics product that delivers collective defense to industry uh, across multiple sectors uh, and across multiple nations. The idea being that if you take information from one company and share it at scale and speed with other companies, they can better protect one another uh, in a collective defense posture. And so today, we expect individual companies to defend themselves against every comer, whether it's a nation state or a script kitty. Uh, the entire range and it's not really a fair fight particularly when it comes to nation states because they have virtually unlimited resources and, and human capital and so companies if they're going to really fight that battle and fight it effectively they've got to come together uh, both in sectors and across sectors and at times as needed with governments to really defend themselves at scale and speed and Ironnet provides the capability to deliver that collective defense
0: so to to be concrete about it in in terms of like the net uh the um the uh this framework yeah. the idea is that you're uh, creating a collaborative, sort of cooperative threat information sharing network, the data that you're using for that is the network data, Right. so you, that you, so in a sense you're like monitoring network level data.
1: That's exactly right. So we're both in the, I would say, both in the detect and protect spaces, right? So we identify behavior patterns of threat actors, the kind of things that are hard to change, right? So it's easy to change your IP address, it's easy to change the signature of your malware. What's hard to do is change the way you behave. And so if we can identify behavioral patterns of threat actors, all the way from, again, script kiddies of nation states and we can share that at scale and speed across a community of interest a community of like-minded companies they can defend one another and get ahead of the threat so you can see campaigns that you might not have otherwise detected because they're falling below the detection level here but if you see it across three companies you realize oh this is a campaign against my entire industry we need to elevate and stop that thing
0: and is that I'm I'm thinking of like the image of little kittens running around with scripts. There's a script kitties or a script kitties? Kitties
1: like children, like kitties, the children. Okay, yeah, yeah. Script kitties. Okay. Although there's a lot of there's a lot what of cat my, yeah. cat yeah. photos on the internet, so you never know. Yeah, it could yeah, be script we, kitties we, too. We, we could
0: get a little script kitties thing going sure. for a little meme there. Okay. Well, good. Uh, I think I understand what you're talking about, and, mm-hmm. and in a sense, it's a, it's it's in one level, it's a cooperative.
1: That's exactly that, right. And that
0: you're, you're agreeing to share exactly. patterns from you, but,
1: but get patterns from exactly. other people. Okay. And part of it too is, you know, it's this idea of sort of being very open about what you're seeing. It's not just the known threats you're seeing. It's all of your threat data, the potential activities that are happening that might be bad. And if you could share those, then things that you wouldn't have noticed here as being bad, right? Because you're seeing it at two, three, four, five, six companies, you now know this is actually a pattern of activity against me and my colleagues, and therefore things you might not have seen, the low and slow movers, the really capable actors, you can find those folks too. Got it. That's what's game changing about the sort of collective defense construct that we're now implementing uh, across a number of industries and sectors.
0: Got it. So uh, what I wanted to talk about is three issues that are, that are kind of uh, on the minds of most CISOs right now. Yeah. And uh, to see if we can make some progress about providing some useful advice and useful um, commentary on it. Sure. The first one is the idea of uh, zero trust. And so, you know, the, the the idea, if you think of the kind of the way that Zero Trust, you know, was born, um, you know, comes out of, you know, some new assumptions that Google made in its Beyond Core platform and then presented to the world in a variety of papers. And they're very rational assumptions that the idea is that, you know, the perimeter is much less meaningful than it used to be. We have devices moving in and out of the perimeter. We don't really know how to protect them, you know, in, in, a, in a zone of trust which doesn't exist anymore. So how do we create an infrastructure that deals with that reality? And also the, with the reality that people are going to be accessing critical systems from outside the perimeter. No. So they, they've developed this tremendous, you know, uh, from scratch set of la- cybersecurity layers that does it all. Now, that concept is very attractive. That yeah. assumption is very, very relevant. Yes. Everybody realizes that they, in, in part, have to solve that problem. Yeah. But the problem is that you can't go to any vendor and buy what Google has. And even if you could, it might not really be relevant to your infrastructure. Right. So what I'm trying to help CISOs do is understand what does zero trust mean to them? Yeah. And then how do they figure out what to do about it? You know, Because everybody's at a different level of uh, a mix of mobile, the mobility right. of the workforce, the, Percentage of applications that are critical that are in the cloud, et cetera, et cetera. So, how would, what advice would you give to like a, a CISO about how to understand zero trust and how to yeah. how to figure out what to do about it?
1: Well, look, Dan, that's a great question, and you're right. The concept is game changing, and the concept is solid, right? This idea, so, this idea that uh, we've got a huge proliferation of devices. They say 27.3 billion devices worldwide, uh, internet connected devices by the year 2020. That's three devices per person. And you think about enterprises, and it's even higher in the enterprise context, and so. <laughs> CISOs have a very tough problem to deal with and you have to assume that every single one of those devices is or could have been or may be owned by, by a threat actor that, that's aiming at you, right? And so you've got to assume that going in and it's not just your corporate networks, right? It's, it's your personal devices because, you know, at the end of the day, your users, no matter how many restrictions you put in place, in fact, the more restrictions you put in place, the more creative they get. About getting information in and doing the work they need to do and so you have to operate i think with this idea of the zero trust model right but then the question is how do you implement if one does does google have all the tools that you need can they provide them to you can you afford what they're providing and use them in the way that they make sense your enterprise systems partly because they're a legacy and partly because you've you've chosen a different methodology might not have that capability and so you've got to implement a suite of products um, and capabilities across your enterprise and what you need to look for is what are the best-in-breed capabilities in each area, right? And I would say we're best-in-breed when it comes to network threat analytics and collective defense. In fact, we're the only real player when it comes to collective defense. Um, but you buy those best-in-breed products, and then you've got to figure out how do they work together. And so you're looking for products that interoperate well and that when, where you have a layer that can make them seem to sing together, And which is why there's been a lot of talk about orchestration. Orchestration really is another way of saying how do I make my products work together in a capable way that can deliver action when I need it. Because it's great to know about a threat, but if I can't do anything about it at speed and scale, if I can't push a update to my users' devices in real time, that's a real problem. And so it's all about getting to, in in our world, in network threat detection and and collective defense, it's all about speed and accuracy. It's all about finding the threats fast and doing it at scale at massive volume. And that's something that both we and Google, I think, bring to that fight.
0: So the idea is what you can do is use it as a way to re-examine your portfolio with exactly. this assumption and understand what are you going to do about addressing that's right. that
1: assumption. That's right, Sort of, you just got to deal with the reality that zero trust is the world we live in today. Got it, got Exactly.
0: it. Uh, and so the second uh, um, uh, question relates to that last point you made about how to make everything work together. It seems like that cybersecurity, in, in essence, has been very additive. You know, that that every generation adds new capabilities. Yes. Now, there's, that's, makes sense because the attack surface, the, the, the domain of what we're doing with computers has has always been expanding as well. Yeah. So it's natural that we would have new security systems for cloud-based assets or new security systems for IoT or new security systems for the dramatically expanded mobile. And uh, on the other hand, uh, we don't seem to have gotten to a point where we've been able to prune our portfolios. and so. What I mean by pruning is making them, in some sense, smaller, simpler, easier to manage, and replacing uh, capabilities with older capabilities with newer capabilities that, that, that somehow make your, you end up in a better situation. Yeah. So, why is it that we, it's taken, why is pruning so hard? Why, why have we seen so little of it? What, what is gonna happen to you know, finally contain this massive growth of, of, of more and more and more componentry, more and more and more, yeah. more capabilities, more and more and more separate companies? Yeah.
1: No, it's a great question. You only have to walk around the RSA Expo floor and the growth it's seen, and just see how many, the proliferation of companies in every sector. Um, and I think, that, I think that the way that we're gonna see this play out in the long run is, you're increasingly seeing a shift to cloud, right? And um, sort of people delivering security in the cloud environment. Uh, You're also seeing uh, vendors like uh, managed security service providers coming together, taking a suite of products, right, making them hum together and then delivering a capability, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're a CISO, you want your systems defended. You don't have to necessarily buy every single product every single time um, and implement it yourself. You can do that uh, both in a cloud infrastructure and you can do it with managed security providers to help you with that. And so one of the things we at Iron Air spend a lot of time doing is figuring out how to take this very highly capable product we built that really was initially designed for the biggest companies in the the marketplace and really pivoted to a capability that can be delivered to small and medium sized businesses. Because those businesses really are the engine of the American economy and they're the ones we need to protect, right? And so uh, we're um, working with some managed security providers to make our product smaller, faster, more deliverable. They can deliver it with, with hunt services so you don't have to build your own software. Floor, you don't have to hire your own analyst. I mean, those those people are hard to find and they're expensive, right? And so well, if yeah, you can I mean,
0: like so, if I, as a small business, I find a bunch of people tapping on my door, what am I going to do about it?
1: Right, exactly. Know, shut
0: my door. I mean, you know, uh, uh, I mean, so, uh, but what you're saying essentially is that there, there may not be pruning of capabilities, but there might be pruning of complexity, and yes. that might happen with. Managed service providers, or it might happen with larger por- product suites that bring everything exactly. together.
1: Exactly right. Exactly right. And you know, and I, I do think that you know we're obviously in a boom time for cybersecurity companies. There's a lot of money being invested. Uh, that's that's great for the for the community. But I think that you know over time, you know that you know capital will slow, and you'll see a sort of natural pruning. Of of uh, capabilities, one thing I would say is in that space, when if and when that day comes, there'll also be a lot of really interesting intellectual property and capabilities out there uh, for smart folks to get in and consolidate and bring together some of these capabilities in single platforms. And so I think you'll see some of that too. You know, who knows when that day will come? Hopefully, it's a little ways off, but uh, but I think that's inevitable in these economic cycles uh, as they as they trend around.
0: Got it. And then the next uh, uh, question happens uh, is about you know cloud migration. You know. Yeah. Um, but if you look at how much money is being spent on cybersecurity, most of it's still being spent on on-premise systems. Now, if you look at uh, the the amount of you know migration to the cloud, you're having you know some migration to the cloud uh, of you know new d- greenfield development. You've got a variety of you know vendors you know yeah. putting things in the cloud. Um, but how is the migration to the cloud going to uh, relate? And be supported or be retarded by cybersecurity. I mean, yeah. is it will it is it is it going to be? And how will the cybersecurity sort of landscape change? Because when you move to the cloud, all of a sudden you've outsourced a bunch of cybersecurity. Uh, the vendors now are taking you know responsibility for yeah. a bunch of things. You don't have to worry about like network level security,
1: yeah.
0: uh, you know, machine and patch level security, a lot of things like that. So it's easier in a way to secure assets in the cloud. Mm-hmm. But then there's another, there's a different shaped surface area yes. there that um, uh, that you need to deal with. And, right. and and how are people gonna learn to deal with that?
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. You know, it's it's funny you and I were talking before we got started about sort of rotary dial phones. Um, and you know, people have comfort in things they know, right? And things they've, they've long used. And so you know, there is a comfort in knowing my data is here, it's in my data center, I can control it, I know where it's going, even if I know that I'm not perfect at that job. I know where it is, and I can I can touch it and feel it. Um, at the same time, you know, you think about as we move to this cloud environment. You know, these large cloud companies have every incentive to do to provide the highest level of security possible for their overall infrastructure, make it resilient, redundant, not create single points of failure. That's one of the things that people are often concerned about: is if I put in the cloud, you know, what happens if the cloud provider is down or unavailable, right? These cloud companies have—it's in their economic interest to not have that happen. It's also in their economic interest to provide robust security around the edges of their platform. Now, all these ba- all these uh, cloud providers will tell you security is a shared responsibility. Right? We're responsible for our systems. You're responsible for your data. Right? We've got to figure out how to partner up together to do that. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing
0: that. they can do about it when they leave S3 buckets. That's right. <laughs> you know. Open so that the people can just That's right. or whatever. And the, That's and
1: right. Exactly. MongoDB database. Exactly. Right. Um, but at the same time, right? I think what's really important to remember is the cloud gives us this, this ability to leverage scale, right? And so you can deliver patches, you know, at scale and speed in real time to your to your users, um, you know, at, in ways that you never could have imagined doing if you had on-prem systems, right? Devices that are only operating on their own on their own laptops. People that have, just don't come in, don't log into the system, they don't update their systems because you try to push it to them, they just don't do it. Um, and so cloud helps a lot with that kind of thing. So you get both, both extensive sort of infrastructure protection by the, provided by your providers. You have the ability to deliver your own, you know, security updates and the like uh, at scale and speed. Um, and, you know, companies like ours are looking at how to uh, take what we do, um, sort of with on-prem systems, or even with cloud, and with our with our with our uh, our data uh, analysis of the back end in the cloud, and how to apply that in the cloud infrastructure. And so we're working with providers like Amazon, like Microsoft, to figure out how to get the data to identify threats in a cloud environment and provide that security as a service in the cloud environment. And so that's a, that's another opportunity. So a lot of the, the But the core, customer
0: there would be Amazon, or would it be
1: no? So the customer there would be that would be the company that wants to be secured, right? But they want but their cloud the infrastructure managed
0: by Amazon. I mean, isn't it, it's not really their network.
1: That, that's a great question. So we've got to build a tight integration with the Googles, the Microsofts, the Amazons of the world, where they're able to show us the data that they're that they're you know, using to protect the network, right? And we're able to then take it, do our analysis and push it back. Amazon doesn't want to necessarily, I don't know, but Amazon may or may not want to be in the business of securing their customers' data, but they want to provide services that can do that. And so we're working with them to develop that capability now.
0: Got it. Um, okay. Um, the next, the bonus questions I have are, are just basically about, you know, kind of Uh, difficult issues that people are addressing. You know, the first one is about ops discipline. It seems like that most companies would be benefiting from investing not only in cybersecurity capabilities, but improving their operational discipline. You know, better configuration management, patch management, um, uh, uh, asset inventory, you know, automation. And yet, uh, it seems that while everybody agrees that this is a great idea, uh, it's not something that is aggressively being pursued. And the question is, why is that? I mean, why is it uh, uh, something that's so often praised but seldom done?
1: Well, I think part of it is, you know, it's hard to manage massive IT systems, right? And just the proliferation of devices, you know, this, this problem of shadow IT is a very real thing. Um, in most enterprises, um, I think if you ask the CISO, they'd have a hard time telling you with exact detail, actually exactly how many devices they own where they are, what they're doing, um, and whether they're operating effectively. and we've seen a you know the last few years, we've seen the entrance into the marketplace of some b- big providers that are offering that capability. Know what your assets are, as you say, know what they're doing, and figure out whether they're operating correctly, right? A lot of times in our space, I mean, as we're looking at devices, we'll we'll see network traffic coming from a given server, which which our, our customers host as an email server, and it turns out it's behaving uh, like something else. And that's a common thing. We need to alert our customer to that uh, problem and they're able to go out and deal with that, right? But if you don't know, what device is supposed to be out there and what it's supposed to be doing, it's hard for us to tell you it's not, it's acting in an anomalous way, right? And so, um, you know, companies like Qualys and other companies are out there, they're doing this capability. Um, and and when you're combining that information with a network threat capability like ours, a collective defense capability like ours, um, a uh, some of these amazing endpoint platforms that are out there today, CrowdStrike, Tanium, the like, I um, mean, you combine those capabilities with an understanding of what's out there on the on the on the network and what's happening out in the in sort of deep and dark web space. Companies like Four IQ, right, that are doing really interesting work in that space. When you can combine all that information, right? maybe through a managed service provider, maybe working with your cloud service provider who wants, to sell, who wants to sell you that service, you can really leverage uh, these capabilities at scale to really protect your network better. But the hard part is figuring out what are the best players in each of these sectors, and how do you get them to deliver it at a cost and price point that you can afford, you know, and if you're not the biggest of companies.
0: Right. Um, and so you're essentially you're saying that, you know, the problem is probably so hard that uh, for the, the smaller you are, the more you need a managed service provider. And the larger you are, the, 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 the more you just accept it's going to be a very difficult task and invest in it.
1: I think that's right. And I think that, you know, that's why we've really got to educate boards, right? You know, we've talked for a long time in the cybersecurity community about uh, making sure that at, at the board level of a company uh, that people understand the threat and are willing to invest the resources in it, right? The challenge is cybersecurity for most boards is not is, is a cost center, right? It's an IT cost center often. Right, right. We really have to look at it though as a systemic threat to industry, right? Whether it's whether it's in the financial services sector or energy or healthcare. Um, these are things that really create systemic risk. This is something that should not necessarily be owned by the CIO, but should be owned by the chief risk officer, right? If not the CEO and COO themselves. And so part of this is an education effort and really explaining uh, how these issues cut across companies uh, of, of large scale. Another interesting thing I, I, I should mention, you know, Dan, is that um, you know one of the things we've seen in the threat environment today is this proliferation of um, of threats where where you're not the target but you're being affected. Right? So you think about the NotPetya attack, right? right? Russia aiming at Ukraine, looking to take out some banking institutions like in Ukraine. The biggest effect, though, in the hundreds of millions of dollars range, felt by American companies across a range of industries: Merck, Mondelez, Maersk, right, a big shipping company. Not the intended targets, but collateral damage is a real thing. So even if you as a CISO think, well, I'm not a real target of the Russians or the Chinese or, or whomever. By the way, you probably are, and you just don't know it yet. Um, but even if you don't think you're a target, right, collateral damage is real when it comes to cybersecurity. And so even you need to ensure your board and your management are educated, they're really treating this at the highest levels of the company.
0: Got it. What uh, advice would you have to, to CISOs about how to promote a, a good cybersecurity awareness culture? Because it seems, again, that uh, this is something that is obvious, but it's, it's not easy to, to get in place. I mean, there are certain places where, um, like, you know, the the, the um, intelligence community and maybe financial services where there is a pretty good awareness mm-hmm. of cyber, the importance of cybersecurity. Yeah. But, but it's, it seems very hard to make, you know, the whole community get involved so that it's not the auditor that complains about the the post-it note with all the passwords on your <laughs> computer. It's 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 everybody else because right. they, re, re, they realize it's going to be a problem.
1: Yeah, you know, and this is going to sound maybe a little corny, but honestly, you got to make security fun. You got to get you got to engage people. You know the way they come to you. You can't sort of push it on them and expect them to sort of click through the slide deck. You know every every six months, right? And just think that's going to do it, right? That as long as I make them watch. Eight SANS videos, right, and they click through the the quiz at the end. Well, then we've got cybersecurity, right? Um, one uh, one uh, company that I, we were recently talking to um, uh, in the oil and gas sector, they had a really innovative idea. I don't want to name because I don't know if they don't want they want to be named, but um, they had an escape room uh, where they taught people about cybersecurity by putting uh, their employees through sort of an escape room scenario where part of it was, you know. Um, cybersecurity trips and techniques. And you know, we pay money to go to these escape rooms, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, and, and so this was sort of an in-house thing. Now look, does that thing scale? I mean, who knows, right? But if you can make security interesting and, and deliver it to people in the way they want to receive it, right, instead of just making it that standard, oh, every three months I got my to, IT, my, my IT team is, is yelling at me, I got to do my thing, otherwise I can't get on yeah, the computer yeah, systems, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think that's part of it.
0: Got it. And then the last question is about cybersecurity insurance. A lot of CISOs I know and, and, and CIOs and CTOs are being forced essentially to buy cybersecurity insurance and it really pisses them off. Um, and uh, they don't like the cyber security insurance because they feel that it's bad insurance. It's got a lot of escape hatches. It does. Even uh, when it's you know, notionally covered there's there's they you know, things you can declare it an act of war or an act yeah. of God or something like that and avoid coverage. And the Impression is, it, it's it's sort of a box checking exer- exercise that doesn't really get you any protection. Mm. Now, very few CIOs or CISOs win this argument. They are they generally buy the insurance. Right. The question is, how can they turn this process yeah. from something that's annoying and. Feels like a waste of money to something that's actually
1: productive. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. You know, um, um, Dave Weinstein and I, uh, Dave is at Clarity, um, and I recently wrote wrote an op-ed together about this very issue about how we're seeing courts actually set the standards for what constitutes an act of war in cyberspace. You know, as we're watching what's happening with the NotPetya uh, lawsuits going on um, out there, and so it's a it's an interesting scenario. Um, uh, I think you make a really good point, which is how can uh, you know. CISOs, CIOs really turn insurance to their advantage. I think one way to think about it is, you know, insurance providers are going to come in, they're going to want to assess your cybersecurity capabilities, right? Normally you're thinking, man, this is, this is the worst thing. I don't want these guys coming in and telling me what I need to do better, right? And showing my boss that I'm not doing a good job. This is an opportunity for you, right? It's an opportunity to say, okay, where can we improve um, and let's buy some coverage, assuming that the coverage actually works. And that's, as you pointed out correctly, there are all these escape clauses that are problematic um, and limits are low and uh, and costs are high. Um, but if you can identify where your vulnerabilities are, buy the insurance targeted to address those areas, but then get better and, and, and build your capabilities in those areas they identify, well then you can reduce your premiums, increase your limits, right? And make it more likely that if and when you have to collect that policy, you're gonna get paid. And so this, in, in a lot of ways, you know, because you're going to get, you're, as you say, you're almost certainly going to have to buy it and you're going get to cr- get it crammed out on you. You might as well see it as an opportunity to really up your game. And I think that's, you know, it's one of those things where you just got to sort of take the pill uh, with, the, uh, with right. the, or take the medicine with, the, with the whatever it is.
0: Well, good. Well, Jamil, this was a really fun interview. I really enjoyed your, your conversation and uh, I hope you have a great show.
1: Thanks, Dan.